One one day we'll be singing here and something will just appear. The way this the way the way, the way these guys I don't know what happened to them. What where is Smith? What what happened here? <laughs> My God. Meanwhile, I refuse to be tempted to change this meeting to a miracle service. Can we can we celebrate them? Can we celebrate them? High in spirit. Uh, when you begin to study the Bible, you begin to have some preferences. Maybe the kind of person you are, you'll find the kind of person that you are. you find if you are like Jeremiah, you find if you are like Isaiah. You just connect with uh, some of the people in the Bible and you will know that if you were in their time, you are likely to be their disciple. I found my type in scripture, it happens to be Apostle Paul. So most of my life work in terms of voluntary Bible study has been uh, in his work. In, you know, in theology, people specialize. There are Old Testament experts. There are experts in the New Testament. Uh, you just find you gravitate to a certain portion of the Bible that is, seems to synchronize so perfectly with your wiring. And I find that kind of description with the ministry of Apostle Paul. Now, I want to give us a presentation, but before I do that, I think that song she sang is still ringing in the spirit. Where is that lady?
wanted to confirm if they were able to flow at that frequency by mistake. But from what I've seen, this is resident capacity. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think they have come to a point. We, you know, I have desired to be holding miracle meetings like once a quarter, but the choir had not yet come to the pedestal where we can partner to accomplish such at that level. But from what I'm seeing now, <laughs> so anytime we get led, we will commence again the healing streams, healing, healing streams. Please, you may be seated. God bless you in Jesus' mighty name. So like I said earlier, uh, there is a connection that I have with the labors of Apostle Paul in a very personal way. And to a great extent, I believe that the anointing that I have was the same anointing that was upon the life of Apostle Paul. Don't believe with me on that matter. You are relieved from attempting to believe. I believe it alone. In the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, so, if you begin to study the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, you are going to find a presentation. If you read Romans chapter 1, verse number 1. Can you put that on the screen? It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, and his preoccupation was what he called the gospel of God. So everything, no, I'm just, I'm trying to define the work of Apostle Paul. You know, I said that I find a strong connection with his labors. And uh, it's, it's easiest for me to flow into the understanding of the revelations that Apostle Paul is communicating because I find a very strong uh, connection with uh, his ministry. So the description, the definition of his ministry was a commitment that he said he had to what he called the gospel of God. So the content of his service delivery was labeled by that identity, the gospel of God. Are you with me? All right. So the gospel of God began in the book of Romans. And just in case you are confused about what pastor is saying this evening, Maybe I might need to read verse 2, which is not my intention, just to carry you along in the progression of revelation. Are you there in verse 2? It says, this gospel of God was promised before by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Yes, what's the content of this gospel? Verse 3. And then I will continue my talk. So the, the subject, the content of the gospel of God is about... The sonship of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. So that's the content. Okay, just in case you heard this terminology for the first time and you don't know what the preacher is talking about, I just gave you an idea of what the preacher is talking about. And it will interest you to know that the entire scope of the ministry, the service delivery of Apostle Paul, was in keeping with that content 
concerning the gospel of God. Are you there? All right. So you will notice that he was the one that that wrote the book of Romans. He wrote the book of First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. He wrote the book of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and all of that. And according to what he's saying here, all of that is the full body of what he calls the gospel of God. Because that was what God called him to do. And in response to the call of God, he said he separated himself to what? The gospel of God. So that's, it, it, uh, it's the entirety of his own service delivery. Now, this is what I found in my study, okay? Are you still with me? Now, I will not repeat myself. What I want to do now, I will not repeat myself. So if you want to get it the way you would like to get it, you might need to listen again and again from the content itself, which will be stored on YouTube. The book of Romans represents the complete gospel of God and shows how sinners are made sons of God and constituted to become the body of Christ, which is expressed as local churches. So that's the content. That's the content of the book of Romans. That's the summary of the book of Romans. If God spares our lives, we will come back to each book of Apostle Paul and we will attempt to break it down so that we can seep of the content. So because of uh, the significance of how the body of Christ needs to be acquainted with um, the procedure that God has put in place to transform a sinner to become a saint and a member that is constituted in the body of Christ, which is the administrative setup that God puts in place in order to manipulate him and to bring him into conformity with the counsel of his will. So that whole process of the transformation of a sinner into a saint that is poised with divine destiny is what is captured in the book of Romans, the content of which he calls the gospel of God. Hallelujah. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Apostle Paul shows that Christ and his cross happens to be the antidote and the solution to all the problems of church life. You see, when we come, this is church, okay? This is church. When we come into church life, you are going to find several problems that will begin to erupt. One of the pro possible problems that can erupt is that maybe another sister is jealous of you and the sister is backbiting you and you get to know that this was what the sister said and then you are already hot. You don't want to have anything to do with the sister and all of that. So all of those kind of possibilities exist. You have a way of getting by by yourself. But you see, the moment we come together to form a community, you become vulnerable because of the possibilities uh, that can come from people that still function in the flesh. Are you there? 
The first time Jesus used the word impossible, and you can look it up yourself, it has to do with offense. Jesus is saying that in a corporate environment like this, it is impossible for you not to be offended. Offense is going to be available. When you are running your business in your own office, you are in charge, you stay away from offense. But if you are going to come into this corporate arena, if you are going to practice church life, you are exposed to offenses. And all these kind of things that will can, can manifest, can choke the purpose that God wants to achieve through our corporate fellowshipping. Now, Apostle Paul, through by the Holy Spirit, came up with the diagnosis, the diagnosis and the solution for every problem that can result from church life. And in the entire book of First Corinthians, he shows us the dual solution to tackle any problem that results from church life. Now, the reason why we have not majored on church life is because we're still maturing. And this is a season where we're going to enter into those, those kind of apostolic matters and to understand the laws that govern church life and what God puts in place to protect the integrity of church life so that each and every one of us that has decided to be part of church can flourish and eventually stumble on their unique destiny. That's the purpose of church life. It's a, it's a system uh, by which God exercises his authority through the leadership that he has constituted, set up in that location. And uh, that recognized leadership in the presence of God becomes the reason why the grace of God will be perpetually dispensed towards building the body of Christ, and for everyone to be able to find their unique destinies in God. That is the reason for which he commissioned church life. However, as powerful as that reason is, because each and every one of us has not yet arrived at perfection, it is possible for you to collide with someone who is still operating in the flesh. And you discover that in a corporate environment like this, the sin of the corporate environment is called self. Think about it. Cancer is not a sickness as it were. What cancer is, is that there are some cells that decided that they will be taking nutrient and they will refuse to give nutrient out. So the part of life is distorted. Because of that, those cells begin to grow in a bogus way, and they block the part of life. That's what cancer is. So the sin of a corporate organism that lives according to the principles of interdependence itself. And the way God constituted us, the way God made us, he made us in such a way that I'm not complete, you are not complete, what I have can complete you, what you have can complete me. So the principle in the body of Christ is the principle of interdependence. Therefore, in that interdependent system, self becomes the major obstacle to the flow of life. That means I'm conscious of myself. I'm serving myself. In the midst of a corporate environment, that person is going to be a stumbling block and a hindrance to that which God 
wants to do. And if we study in the book of First Corinthians, you will see the way he dealt with such people. At the end of the day, he came up with two solutions that are likely, two solutions that solve all the problems that are likely to result from the engagements of church life. The first one is the prescription of Christ as the solution. Now listen, I need to explain that. It's heavy on you, okay? But I need to explain it. Um, where is, I'm seeing someone like Stella. Is Sister Stella in the choir? Or in the congregation? Where is Stella? She has escaped from. May you not be, the day I call your name, may you not be absent. Hallelujah. All right, Pastor Joseph is sitting in the congregation there. Now, if, I, the thing I wanted to say now, because Stella is not there, it has escaped. If someone slaps you, that is in this place, something happens, and you don't even know anything about the thing, but you have inherited a slap from the whole There are two possible responses. You can decide to slap back, which is a response that came from the flesh. But when you slap back, the Holy Ghost in you is likely to be displeased. It means you did not follow the approach of him that was inside of you. Him that is inside of you, now that you are born again, is your real personality. You didn't get that. Please help me preach to your neighbor. Your real personality is the one that is inside of you by the Holy Ghost. For instance, you, okay, you are here, but you did not respond. All right, all right. I, I, I was, yeah. Now, I will, when the oil comes, I will, I will release something on you. Now, This is what Paul says. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Living for Paul is living out the promptings that Christ is generating on his inside. That's living for a Christian. For me to live is Christ. It's no longer I that live it. It is Christ that live it in me. That's the description of the Christian life. That means... If you slap me and I respond in the flesh, what I did is that I, I denied Christ the opportunity to express how he will handle the situation. I responded like a fallen man. I responded like Adam. Are you there? So it means I, I, in, in that particular matter, I did not leave out Christ. So anything that I expressed was an error. So when you slap me and I now calm down, then I try to find out what he's saying and he's quiet. I also decide to be quiet. And anything that Satan wanted to achieve because of that slap died because I aligned with Christ. According to Apostle Paul, the cure for church life is the cross and Christ. Let me explain what the cross means or bearing the cross. You see, uh, 
you are quite a complex personality. Uh, you have the life of God in your spirit. You have human life in your soul. You have satanic life regulating your body. That's what we call sin, satanic life. It's the venom of the serpent that was released into Adam. It's, it's, it's governing the body. It takes advantage of your appetites. And it wants to use your appetites to master you, to control you, to manipulate you. So three lives, human life, satanic life, or the life of sin, and then divine life. So when something touches you, you get responses from three levels. Divine life, human life, satanic life. Think about it. That means you are a very complex person. There are three possible responses that can come from you at every given time. You have the potential as a Christian. Meanwhile, this is not my lecture for the night. I'm just trying to summarize what each book that Paul wrote is. Then we arrive at First and Second Thessalonians, then I start teaching. Are you? When you are faced with a situation, your response can be at three levels. You can operate from your spirit. That means you operate the way God would have operated. You can operate from your soul. That means you operate the way man would have operated. You operate from your your body. Your body becomes the organ that is the lead organ. You operate the way Satan would have operated. Can you see that? That's a complex situation. So if you are going to perpetually operate the way God wants you to operate, there is something called the cross. How many of you still remember the cross? You don't remember the cross? Let me give you an idea. If you were to be crucified now, sister, what's your name? Huh? Ozioma. All right. So if Ozioma were, were to be crucified now and a cross was placed on her back, maybe for the past two years she'd been looking for Hollandis, a, a particular type of Hollandis, and then they put that cross on her. She's going to Golgotha to be crucified. And then Digna now comes and says, The Hollandis, I found it. You see, she cannot desire the Hollandis again because. She's already going to be crucified. Think about it. Huh? I say, hey, finally, that house in Abuja has come out. But she, wh where is she going? She's bearing the cross. She can no longer desire the things that this world is throwing at her because of the weight of what? Oh, you are not answering. Okay. Now, as you are not answering, we, what will we do is that we will... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been warned by the people online that when you people are not responding, I should not. So this cross, as long as you are carrying it, the weight of the cross will affect what you can desire. Are you with me? Good. If God begins to administer the cross, on you. It will affect your desires. Somebody is crying because he doesn't have an Apple phone. If the weight of the cross comes upon you, 
you will see an Apple phone, you will trivialize it. Not because it's not good. Because you, you have discovered that you can do without it. That's how the power of the things that pertain to this world break before you. Because the cross gives you the ability to live without it. So you will hear Paul say things like, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. It means even among the lawful things, you can even decide that I will not watch Champions League again and nothing will happen. I, because of the weight of God upon my life, I now discovered that I was spending so much time watching football. I, I just felt it was not necessary. Not because anyone said it was a sin. I just, a point came, I just felt it was not necessary. And the desire for it just died. Meanwhile, I was a soccer star myself. I played number 10. I know you people will never believe that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. All you know now is that I preach the Bible. You don't know that now. He died. Oh, you don't know that when I was on campus, I, I wore the costless shoe on that campus. You don't know. I wore Sancho's boots from Texas on, on that campus. You need to... I was a guy man. That's what I'm saying. I was a guy man. But you know what? Nothing wrong with me, the guy man. But you see, I started bearing the cross and a time came where it was no longer... Shallah can testify of the shoe. Like Sancho's boot from Texas. It, from here down. Jesus. <laughs> but you see, I, the, the weight of the cross came and it affected my desires. So I, even though I like it, I could do without it. That's how you can, the cross can make you do without women. It can make you do without a car, even though you have money to buy one. Because for seven years while I was in Lagos, God would not allow me to buy a car. He said, use the buses. The time came when the desire for a car died. So if you come and you are dangling a car key, you are talking to the wrong man. That place in my heart that a car the law for a car would have rested. The cross, the weight affected it. Did, are you following what I'm talking about? That is what it means to bear the cross. The only thing that matters to you is what Jesus is saying. It's what Jesus wants and you are available for him. So nothing can enslave you. A car, a woman, beans. There's a lady I met, she must eat beans. She must eat beans by four o'clock. She was already as fat as a drum, but... She must take beans. Now, beans can control her. If you want to poison her, put poison in beans. She will eat and die. But you see, what Jesus wants is that you, he wants to deliver you from anything that has the power to entangle your soul so that you live for him completely. Are you there? So the two-point solution that Apostle Paul recommends to the Corinthians, and we are going to do an analysis. <laughs> if we start doing book study and we... Bring out Matthew, we'll bring out Mark. It will take time. But I believe we have matured to the point where we can do that kind of talk, that kind of stuff. But the solution to all the possible ailments of church life is one, the cross, and two, Christ. That was the prescription that he gave to the Corinthian church. Because the Corinthian church was a gifted church. 
they were moving in the gifts of the spirit they could prophesy but there was immorality on the rise they were flowing with women one even went and began to sleep with his father's wife in i was still moving the spirit which could still prophesy but he will end up sleeping with his father's wife so that was how the church was was very rowdy very unspiritual but highly gifted and the prescription that apostle paul gives is christ and what his cross so when a situation presses me the way i respond can be threefold so what paul is saying is that when the flesh is pressing and demanding for response at that level cast that desire to the cross when self is pressing for a response at that level cast that desire to the cross paralyze it by the cross the only prompting you should allow is the one that comes from christ because that's your new personality for me to live is christ did you get it okay second corinthians second corinthians describes the uh the uh ministers of the new covenant ministry which are needed to bring distracted believers back into the experience of christ for their christian life that's what second corinthians is about it gives us an idea of the new kind of ministers are you still following what i'm talking about here so it is in second corinthians that you find the gifts of the spirit there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit there are diversities of administrations but the same lord there are diversities of operations but it is the same god that worketh all in all you will find from the philosophy in the book of second corinthians paul is saying that you cannot serve god except you have a gift if God wants you to serve him, the first thing he does is that he bequeaths to you a gift. And it will surprise every one of you seated here and those of you listening to me online that even though you were born naked, you were not born again naked. You were born again with a gift. You were born naked in the natural, but you were born again with a gift. No one that was born of God is naked. Because you need a gift to be able to serve God. So the profiling of the new kinds of ministers that can prosecute the mind of God, bring the heart of God to pass, is captured in the book of 2 Corinthians. So in 2 Corinthians, we see all kinds of endowments, all kinds of empowerments, all kinds of graces to show a very sharp distinction between Old Testament functionaries and New Testament functionaries. Have you read the scripture that says we are able ministers of the new covenant not according to the letter but according to what the spirit for what the letter kills and the spirit give it life. so it means that our type of ministers have really never existed we are able the reason for which we have become able the reason for which we have ability is because we are of the spirit so the spirit of god is the sufficiency that comes upon us that empowers us and equips us 
to be able to provide service to our generation, service to the body of Christ. And it must be known. It must be known. That if God wants to raise a, a, a leader, the concept of the stature of leadership is that God will invest an anointing upon your life. What leadership means is your ability to influence people. If God wants you to influence people, what he does to you is that he gives you an anointing. The moment you have an anointing, there is a concentration of the grace of God. And through that concentration of the grace of God, you can influence people. So the, the, the meaning of the second Corinthians is uh, a disclosure of the new kinds of ministers with the new possible kinds of empowerment that makes us men capable to provide service that God can endorse. If you are still with me, say amen. amen. The book of Galatians shows that Christ replaces the law. And it, is, it also reveals Christ versus religion and Christ versus tradition of men in the Christian life. So it shows us that the reality is Christ. Everything that was revealed in the Old Testament was pointing to a certain reality. And uh, the reality is the Christ. So it gives us a long list of what religion is. And religion is what um, the flesh subscribes to. So it gives us a long list of what religion is. gives us a long list of what human tradition is which is the description of the kind of thing that we call Judaism, even shows us the preferences of the law. And because the law doesn't have the capacity to give life, the law produced a religion that was dead. Then it now shows us Christ. The way, Christ. The truth, Christ. The life. Everything that the law promised, it showed that it's only in Christ that the fulfillment can find expression. So what he's saying is, no, don't look at the candlelight anymore. Look at the true light that lighted every man that cometh into the world. So the revelation of the Old Testament was a candlelight, giving you an idea of what was to come. And right now, the true light has come. So you need to look away from the candlelight and look into the true light. And you will be lightened, and indeed every man that comes into the world is expected to be enlightened by that true light. That's what the book of Galatians is talking about. And in the book of Philippians, Apostle Paul shows that the Christian life is a life of the experience of Christ. I think we need to do a very long lecture on how to experience Christ, how to experience Christ. Because in the administration of Christ, in the enjoyment of Christ, we must understand that um, in your heart right now, the office of the Christ is, is expressed through the person of the Holy Ghost. That was what Jesus was trying to say in the book of John chapter 16. That if, I'm not, if I don't go, the comforter will not come. And when the comforter shows up, he will glorify me. He will take of mine... And he will make it available to you. So the Holy Spirit is not, is there as a representative of Christ. So he will take from Christ and he will bring to you. 
it is not his own agenda he's there to do, but he's there to do the agenda of Christ. The book of Philippians is saying that it is in the experience of Christ that we see the possible fulfillment of the things that God has promised us. So each and every one of us is enjoined by the testimony in the book of Philippians to endeavor not just to know Christ cerebrally, but to know him experientially. Are you there? Not just to know him mentally, but to know him experientially. If you know him experientially, you'll be able to give him a name that is suiting to your experience. So when you read from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelations, you will find so many names that he was given that was drawn from the experiential perspective. And if you have not given him your own personal name that is suiting to your own experience, it means you have not yet experienced it. Because people like David will say, the Lord is my shepherd. People like David will say, the Lord is my light. People like David will say, the Lord is my salvation. People like Paul will say, Christ has been made unto us wisdom, has been made unto us redemption, has been made unto us sanctification. The more you, ex and meanwhile, you cannot exhaust the experiences that you can have from Christ Jesus. So you are supposed to have a unique name for him in every season that is revealing of the kind of experience that you have of him. So even in this generation, Jesus is still asking, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And your response is going to be according to your experience. So um, Philippians, in Philippians, Paul is saying, don't just know it in your brain, know it from the experience. Are you there? Have you read that scripture that says, and Adam knew his wife? The word knew there is experienced. So that's, that's deep. So if you are going to know God, you will have to experience it. Just like a man experiences his wife and then he knows there's a secret, an experience he has drawn from his wife. So there is such a secret possibility of intercourse with God that will give you a unique experience of him that will become the basis of your knowledge of him in that way. And the proof that you know him intimately as such is that you'll be able to trust him and you'll be able to believe him. If you're having problems trusting God, you have not experienced God. That's what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. Are you still with me? All right, where are we? Philippians, Philippians. So in Colossians, oh my God. Colossians is my best book in the Bible. I'm already tempted, but I resist that temptation. Colossians reveals that Christ is the all-inclusive one. The goal, let me just summarize it to you. The goal of the book of Colossians is that Christ is supposed to be preeminent. Oh, this one I have to read. Come with me to Colossians chapter 1. But don't be distracted. This is not where I'm going. I'm just giving you a recap. I'm trying to draw your mind. Because this is my space. Apostle Paul's writing is my space. So you need to benefit from what I found uh, in that place. Turn your Bible quickly to the book of Colossians chapter number 1. 
Okay. In Colossians chapter number 1, we'll begin to read from verse number 12. Uh, Colossians 1. It says, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet. That's ancient English. It means qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So from the next verse, you begin to see all of the dimensions of that personality called the Christ. Number one, in him we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's one. Don't go anywhere looking for forgiveness. There's no idol. Huh? I, was, I was looking through some of the idols among the Indians. One looks like a monkey. Don't, don't, he can't forgive sin. The Bible says in him we have redemption through his blood, even what? The forgiveness of sins. And I want to warn you, because he forgives sins, should not be a license for you to be perpetually sinning, hoping that he will forgive you. If that is the case for you, it means sin has deceived you. And when you stay long in the deception of sin, it has eight consequences. You know I've always warned you. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Yes? Who is the image of the invisible God? Oh, my God. The firstborn of every creature. <laughs> Hallelujah. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. The meaning of your life is in him. You need to find him to know what you mean, what your life is about. If not, you take off like a tornado. The devil will give you a description of what you should be doing and you, you, you lose yourself. And one day when you look at yourself in the mirror, you will not be able to recognize us. would have gone so far away that even you yourself will say, I don't know this woman. I don't know this. Who is this man? In him. In him. In him. That's why we never stop seeking him because everything about my life is in him. It is in him that I consist. My meaning, my essence, my definition is in him, so I will need to strive to travel in him so that I can find myself. The moment Simon discovered who he was, he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Huh? He said, blessed art thou, Simon, I'm not by Jonah. But flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly father which is in heaven, and thou art Peter. The moment he encountered him and discovered a little bit about Christ, he began to find out about himself. May you not labor in the outer court all your life and never enter into the essence of what you were called to do upon the face of the earth. Yes, give me the last verse there. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Why is he, why is he all these things? He's everything. Why? That in all things, he might have the preeminence. That's the meaning of the book of Colossians. That if you want to enjoy Christ, are you there? 
Make him first. Make him preeminent in your finances. Some of us, what we give to God cannot enter this basket. This basket, you know, I see ushers laboring to take baskets around. You will notice that you will not see me um, transacting with baskets in the service. Are you there? He is first place in my finances. I don't need to come to church to give offering. I know the account number. So while you are sleeping, I'm, I'm investing. And it's not only in this ministry I invest. I invest heavily in any ministry that I see that is doing something that needs real encouragement because it's accurate. My seed is there. My seed is there. You know what? He's preeminent in my life. That means the goal is that you must establish him as Lord, your Lord. If he's not your Lord, you will not understand the meaning of life. Life will elude you. You'll be looking for what is not lost because you have not acknowledged in your living that he is Lord. The book of Colossians is very deep. Is he preeminent? Is he in the center? The one, not a part of your life. You just made him a part of your life. Eh? But something as money is in the center of your life. You will see how money will destroy your life. When you put him in the center of your life, and everything is a part of your life, he regulates how you deal with everything. Because he is everything to you. He regulates how you deal with everything because he is what? Everything to you. So that's the object of the book of Colossians. Then you now get to first and second Thessalonians, which is the end of that stream of revelations. Are you there? The end of that stream. Guess what the meaning of first and second Thessalonians is about a sanctified life. So he ends all his streams of revelation with the ultimate revelation, which is the revelation of what? Sanctified life. Okay, I didn't tell you about the efficiency. Efficient. Did I talk about the efficiency? I jumped efficiency. Okay, the goal of, of um, Ephesians reveals that the church is the goal of the Christian life. The church. Uh, because the church is the fullness of God. The church is the local expression of the body of Christ. It's the instrument of the kingdom of God to do the will of God in the earth. So the goal of the Christian life is the church. Now, you see, every dealing God has given you as an individual. Have you read that scripture that says, So death walketh in us and life in you. If God takes you a, through a process that, 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 that um, affects you, that you suffered, the reason for the suffering is because that suffering is what is going to make you capable of releasing life to the church. 
Yesterday night, I was up until when? The reason for that suffering. If you are going to release life to the church, then God will have to release suffering to you. Death will walk in you so that life can walk in the body. The goal of your Christian life is the body of Christ. If you want to be such an individual that will be an instrument of life to the body, then there is a protocol of sacrifice that you must embrace. Are you there? That sacrifice is what is going to make you an instrument of life. An evil day came upon the body of Christ when, when people began to desire ministry because it, it looked flamboyant. It looked, it, looked, um, it looked like stardom. So a pastor comes and he wears a long chain, you know, and a jacket. And he shows you that this jacket is from Pierre Cardin. And then you desire to be like him because he's flashy. He showed you a wrong example. The real portrait of the Christian life is the sacrifices that we go through on a regular basis that makes us instruments of life. For death, we walk in you so that life will walk through you to us. That's what ministry is. It's the sacrifices. Sacrifices. For many nights, you'll not be able to sleep. They are calling upon the name of the Lord and speaking in tongues and speaking in And I don't count the number of nights. I no longer count the number of hours in prayer. I just realize sometimes like that, that, okay, I was in Jalingo to preach. I never stepped out of the house I was staying until when it was time to preach in the evening. I was praying from morning till night. Morning till night. The only time I set foot outside the building is in the night when I'm going to preach. That's when I go to take my bath. I'm so engrossed in God that I don't visit the bathroom. I visit the bathroom after I've heard God. Then I can do the other things and put on a tie and put on a white shoe. And then when I come out, you see the white shoe, you say, oh my God, I would like to. If you live my life for 24 hours, you will know what it means for death to walk in you. Some of you cannot even sit on one seat for five hours. You can't sit. Everywhere is noisy. There's distraction in the blood. But in order for you to find God, you need to sit still. And begin to pray in the spirit. And you'll pray long enough so that you'll be able to discern when God in your spirit begins to rise up. When he rises, he will now whisper to you, don't worry, I'll do miracles. What else do you want? Okay. You know, this matter we have been discussing, you have not said anything about. He said, okay, I'm not ready to talk about that yet. So, okay. so you'll know that the delay is not because God is deaf. God wants you to press more. He wants you to go into the inner chamber before he can strip and show you that side. So death walketh in us so that life, you can be a vessel of life. And I've grown in the ministry of life from a few sets of people to becoming a voice that gives life to the world. I can tell you the stages. I can tell you the dealings. I can... Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. 
One day, I was in Lagos, and I had a dream. I saw that thieves came and stole my car. And I woke up, went, checked the car. It was still there. I told my wife, I saw that thief stole our car. And I saw Pastor Adeboye in that dream. He told me, don't look for it. Don't look for it. Two days later, they stole our car. Everybody at home was sad. In Lagos. But I already got the answer for my dream. What's the answer? Don't look for what? After seven days that I did not look for it. I was in the bathroom taking my bath and then God now spoke to me. He said, because cars no longer mean anything to you, you will not need to buy them anymore. I will be sending them to you. If the cross can kill your, the desire for something, then you are qualified. You can master it. He will make it available so much. If the cross kills money in your heart, then he, he moves so much of it to come. You will be able to give it to the people he wants you to distribute it. And that money will no longer be, have any, any, any thorns and tistles to injure your soul. So dead, work it enough. You get a, a fishers now? All right. So in First and Second Thessalonians, the subject is the sanctified life. So now that's the introduction for my presentation uh, this evening. So let's go back to our matter. I'm just showing you that this issue of the sanctified life is a critical issue in the Christian life that no generation can come and toss it aside. It cannot be tossed aside. So the way, when I read through First and Second Thessalonians, I see it as one book because it's the same subject. And so we are going to go through it um, quite quickly. There are three definitions of what it means to live a sanctified life in these two books. The first one is the one we will start discussing tonight. And the introduction to the first one is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 10. The definition of a sanctified life. Definition of the sanctified life. Ye are witnesses and God also, how holily and justly and unblamedly we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Can you see that kind of lifestyle? Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. This aspect of sanctification has to do, this aspect of the description of the sanctified life has to do with conduct. So we need to know that as we study, you, you get to find out. Okay? You get to find out that this sanctified life, the way Paul revealed it in first and second Thessalonians. There is sanctification of the body. There is sanctification of the heart. There is also sanctification of the spirit. These are the three compartments in which he broke sanctification. 
under this broad heading of a sanctified conduct. Are you following what I'm talking about? Now, can you give me that scripture from another translation? I would like to engage it with softer tunes. Maybe it will flow more easily into your heart. What is ESV? English Standard Version. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. So the emphasis here is conduct. Another translation will, will, will help us. You saw with your own eyes how discreet and cautious we were among you with keen sensitivity to you to follow believers and God knows we weren't freeloaders. I don't want any big word. We have one word there. Freeloaders. This is quite confusing. So give us something that is... Um, you are witnesses and so is God how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved towards you believers. So we need to pick, there are three words we need to pick. One is, no, go to another, another verse, another translation. You yourselves are witness and so is God that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all you believers. Now, in the body of Christ, the first category of ministry that is available is the deacons, diaconate. That's what the Greek calls it. And the deacons are into administrative services. Um, the other services that support the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word. So every other service in church life, in the house of God, that supports the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word is categorized to be in that category. Are you there? Then, when you begin to grow in God and you get to a point where you are flawless, listen to me, what did I say? Flawless in character. That's when you become an elder. The reason why the requirement for eldership is being flawless in character is because you begin to oversee human beings in their spiritual work with God. If you are not yet matured, you are likely to tune to the flesh and to take advantage of the people that you are overseeing. Are you there? then you begin to notice that one of the sisters is very beautiful. And you take her number for night chatting. You are no longer, over, you are overseeing, you are overseeing ministry as, the channel has changed. So it is when you become faultless in character, faultless, blameless in character, that you become an elder. And the job of an elder is spiritual oversight over people. 
So you don't become an elder quickly. In fact, the, 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 the regulation is that you must have at least 10 years of con- consistent character. If Christ is growing on your inside, there are few symptoms that will reveal that indeed he's growing. His influence in your heart is growing. First is that you start becoming selfless. Start thinking of other people much more than yourself. It means Christ is. Second thing is that you become generous. The one you have is not enough for you, but you are willing to part with it if it will serve the needs of another person. That's a proof that Christ in you is what? So we we will need to observe that development in your life. That you grew through the ranks and came to a point where indeed what will be your joy is not about your own personal advancement but about the advancement of other people in the body of Christ. That's when you'll be qualified to become an elder. You will notice in the Bible that the people that were called elders, they were called elders not by anointing investments but by character investments. An anointed man that has not yet grown into eldership to become flawless in character is a danger to the world. It can take you like three, four years to have the anointing, have power. If you are fasting and praying consistently, most of you have power. I know, I know, I know what you do. I know how you cast out devils. I've heard of your stories. Most of, but you see, that's not a sign that you are matured. All of us, you move in power. All of us. Those of you that have been following our prayer meetings, are not, I know, I know you see visions. I, am not, I don't doubt that. I know those are natural things that happen when you begin to explore the spirit realm. Visions will come to you. You can conduct deliverance for people. People can get healed when you minister and all of that. So that should happen to every one of us. But what shows that you are matured is not that you can heal the sick. What shows that you are matured is that we see the traits of a life that Christ has so lavishly expanded his territory upon, such a man will become flawless in character. He sees opportunity to commit immorality. He will not, he, he will not exploit because Christ in him has made him selfless. He doesn't want to gain from his interaction with this sister. The sister is vulnerable. The sister trusts him. The sister self is even lusting after him. He is aware of that. But he will not exploit that. Because the nature of Christ in him has so grown and made him to be selfless. So he's not a danger to anybody. Either married or widowed or single lady. He's not a danger to them. Because the, the empire of Christ has grown to the point where he has become flawless in character. Today we have boys with microphones. People that have not been weaned from milk. People that have not been tried, tested with money. People that fall because of the scent of dollars. And now champion microphone people trying to change Christianity into a one-term faith. We have not so learned Christ. As long as I'm alive, my voice belongs to Jesus. 
You know, many guys will not like me, but I don't care about that. The empire that Christ has built in my heart is so huge, so large, that I don't consider persons. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And I don't care if I'm liked. I don't care if I'm disliked. But I know whenever I finish preaching here and I go back home, I say, how did I do? Sometimes Jesus will do like this. (laughs) He lost me with passion. One night he just came to me. The only reason why he came to, to me was that, just to tell me that, you are my man. You are my man. <laughs> Hallelujah. Christ. So I can tell you in the journey of my discipleship, many times that so many people were vulnerable and I did not take advantage of one of them. And I didn't know he was watching. For many years. You know I was not at home for 11 years. My wife was here. I was in Lagos. You know Lagos? You don't know Lagos? <laughs> you know? Do you know Lagos? Oh, Jesus Christ. Never. For 11 years. So, dimensions of authority, God will not commit to you. Because authority makes you visible. Authority makes you... You appear in the horizon. Woe unto a man that appears in the horizon who has not become flawless in character. It's a disaster waiting for some opportunity to happen. Today, I have disciples among all races. Hallelujah. All races. Male and female alike. I went somewhere in Enugu. So a reverend came to me and said, are you aware that my wife is your disciple? I, I I don't know the woman. This woman will never sleep until she hears your message in the night. She's the one that forced me to be your disciple. So we came to submit to tell you in, in the natural that we've been following you for many years. I think reverend in an Anglican church came to tell me. Jesus will never give you that level of publicity if he's not sure of your character. Guess what this guy said? Ye are witnesses and so is God how unworthily and just and blameless was our behavior towards you who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. Give me my traditional King James back again. Hallelujah. Are you there? Please don't just be anointed. I know all of you are anointed. I know all of you. In the night, I know you see things. If we open a box here now and say, Everyone that sees the vision, write it down and put it there. I know every day we'll be receiving full box. I know you people, you see, but you don't stop there. Your life must have a harmony. There must be a beauty that must, that must result from your life. That beauty will come because you decide to, to, to live holily, justly, and unblamedly. Unblamedly. So it is not on the account of a wrong character. Someone that wants to hate you will not hate you because you have a bad character. Will hate you because you are a carrier of truth. And that truth bites on the fallen nature, on the flesh. And he doesn't want to let go the flesh. That's the reason why they hate you with passion. They pay people money to look for opportunities to castigate you on Facebook. <laughs> you know, it's... it's <laughs> if you know the man you are castigating, he is only... 
idol is Jesus Christ. That your thing you are doing in Facebook, you are wasting your money. In fact, you are even promoting him. You are giving me publicity. There are people that would never have known me, if not that people paid bloggers to look for something. Look, you must find. There must be something to find, to talk about this man. And then they now promoted us to places that we did not have money to advertise ourselves. You can do nothing against the truth. Nothing. So when, you, when people criticize me, it cannot be on the account of wrong conduct. Go to my fire when I worked for the government, 16 years. No one offense is in my fire for 16 years. I didn't take and I didn't steal for 16 years. You must, I know you are aware that the House of Representatives, they came to screen us, they came to check us. Go and find out. My name is not with EFCC. I didn't steal, I didn't take. I was without a car for seven years by the voice of God. I was in the yellow buses of Lagos. No colleague of mine that was on my rank will ever do that. People saw me as a Jew man. They didn't know how a man under God's discipline looks like. It's because I obeyed today that God has put... I, I don't, I'm not a handsome man. I'm not handsome. But God put my face in front of people every night. It's not because I'm, I'm lanky, six feet two. It has nothing to do with my frame. It has everything to do with the one that is advertised through my vessel. I, I was in, I, I told you I was in Ethiopia. I saw some Muslim ladies that were wrapped up in black, black veils. The only part of their body that was on display were, were, were the eyes. And one of them called me out of the veil, apostle. So I said, I pretended as if I didn't hear. I just, I moved one side. <laughs> I moved. Moved quickly. Moved once. And screened my box and everything. And was about to escape. She escaped alone. Then she came and stood. When she stood, she was not facing me. She stood and faced this side. Me, I was facing this. And we're talking. She said, somebody said I should be listening to your message. I said, hey, are you aware that everything I preach there is true? He said, yes, I found out. That is true. Uh, I found out. I found out. Even people that do not know our Jesus know the sound of God. They know the sound. They know the sound. So I will not change because rascals are around <laughs> that don't know the God of the Bible. Two books in the Pauline epistles dedicated to the description of the sanctified. Don't believe liars. Let's walk in holiness. If we do all of you, we will stand at the foot of Jesus and he will be proud of us. All of you. All of you. I don't, I don't just think about my life and earthly success that I want to be on uh, this magazine, Charisma. I want to be the prophet of Africa. I, that, that, that's not my preoccupation. I stand before him every night contemplating in his presence and thinking on eternity. Because whether you are not aware of it, my great father is no longer here. Huh? That was a man that I would have loved to live forever. I was telling my wife, you miss my father. You missed him. Oh, Jesus. The great mind, you missed him. You would have loved him. But he's no longer here. He's no longer here. So I know that I will not be here forever. So I think on where we go. I think on it. I think on it. Hallelujah. I think on that. Again and again. As we will find out in our study, 
the second definition of the sanctified life. Uh, no, I will not tell you now. Are you there? So this aspect has to do with our conduct. So there were three verbs here. Holily, justly, and unblamedly. No, you couldn't find any spot. You couldn't find any wrinkle. Check all his documents. They are clean. He doesn't need to lie. Are you there? Some time ago in the office, I don't know what happened. They now brought people from the ministry, from the Civil Service Commission. I brought them to our office and they asked all of us to go and bring our certificates from school living certificate from Wayek, from uh, what they call it? Degree certificate and everything and all day. I, I was wondering what was going on. And the man would just come early in the <laughs> man would just come early in the morning, insult everybody first and put you on the edge before the interview we, we start. <coughs> he will insult <laughs> That was how we joined the line. We were already, we were senior, very senior staff. We joined the line, everybody joined like a refugee. And we carried our, our, our materials. Then one of our manager just got to the man's table. The man, so he su submitted what was supposed to be a certificate for his first degree. The man shouted, thief! <laughs> that is where I finished! This is not how I want it! None of us could look up. All, all of us look like <laughs> the man insulted. The man insulted. The man insulted. How did you get this job? You are doing somebody's job. Ah. Even we that have original ones, we became afraid of ourselves. He said, "Stand here, stand here, stand here." That man. Nobody looks at that man in the eye. That day he was he was like this. That's how you. That's how you are not bold. Where you, where you still, where you don't walk in holiness, you are not bold. He's still there. We're coming. We're on the line. We're on the line. The man looked at. I don't know whether he had goggles that could tell the one that was original. He said, "Okay, this is original." Are you are a PhD holder? Oh, doctor. Well done. Well done. Well done. The next one. That day, that day we. <laughs> so my direct manager, that was very, very intelligent. My direct manager came. He said, "Your certificate is original, but are you saying that you graduated from secondary school at the age of seven? This is what is." <laughs> You left secondary school at the age of seven. Is your father the grand the headmaster? <laughs> he says, stand here, stand here. And I was the one after him. <laughs> he looked at it, then he, he did like this. 
said, okay. All right. He did. That was the day I saw how you have no confidence when you are you have a blame. I choose to be blameless. Jesus wants all of us to be blameless. So that when you stand here, the day we want to wed you, I say, I know this one. I know this one. This is blameless. So every blessing that comes is pronounced that day. It will rest on your life. Hallelujah. Guess what happened after that screening? One of the senior men that was affected and rebuked seriously before us. Guess what happened? He went and brought Shongo. You know Shongo? You are not, you are not following. Because you are not following. Oh, forget that. <laughs> he went spiritual. Sorry for those of you alive. You may not know what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that the man went and brought the witch doctor of his village to confuse the entire office so that nobody will remember that his certificate was forged. And when Shongo came, he came on a Sunday. How did they transport Shongo? Because Shongo doesn't enter iron. He doesn't enter vehicles. He doesn't enter plane. Did they disappear like this from the shrine and appear in our... How did they... How did they transport it? Somebody forgot his house key in the office and came, drove into the office to go and get it from the drawer and saw Shongo in our office. Ah, this is not... This is not Nollywood. Be blameless. Help me tell your neighbor, be blameless. Oh my God. The Lord will help us in the name of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to try to round up. Uh, we have a long way to go, but just be taking it um, step by step. This aspect of sanctification that has to do with our conduct has three subsets. The first subset is what we call the sanctification of our hearts. The second is the sanctification of our bodies. The third is the sanctification that has to do with our spirit. So let us start with the heart. And now that's where I'm going to close for tonight. Then subsequently we'll continue on the journey. Because the vision that God has is to sanctify you wholly, spirit, soul, and body. He wants to sanctify your spirit. He wants to sanctify your soul. He wants to sanctify your body. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 19, if you have that scripture, you might wish to turn. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye yielded your members, servants. Oh, where are we? Where are we? I'm talking about the sanctification of what? So I went and started talking about the body. Now, excuse me, you can cancel that scripture. We'll talk about that uh, secondly. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. 
is the entry point into sanctification of the heart. To the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He establishes our hearts unblameable in holiness. That's where it begins from. So first of all, I need to define what heart is. You know, I told you that I was going to bring my chart, a diagram, so that you can see the hidden and the inward parts as the prophets prophesied. I've not forgotten that. I'll still come up with that diagram and show you how your inward chambers look like and the lens through which we will see the things that are inward is the word of God. It will help you understand the movements of God when you begin to sense his organic vibrations within you. Uh, you will be able to understand how to be intimate with him much more if you have that diagram in your mind. Because sanctification must begin from that place. You know, I told you that the problem with fallen humankind was his heart. That everything that was about the fall was wired into his heart. And that the reason why he couldn't live up to the requirements of the laws of God was because his heart was deceitful. His heart was desperately wicked. So even though the laws of God were righteous, he himself had a heart that could not align with the fulfillment of the things that God required. So in the context of the New Testament, what God does is that he gives us a new heart and he gives us a new spirit. So this is the goal. This is what he wants to achieve in your heart. He wants to establish your heart unblameable. It means there are blames that are heart-bound. There are errors that are heart-bound. And you must know this. You must know this. Physical sin that has to do with the body or sin that has to do with the mind does not just come. It passes through the incubator. And the incubator happens to be the heart. And God does not just want sanctification and holiness in our conduct. He wants it in our heart. Because that's the best place of everything that becomes a manifestation. Are you still with me? All right, so this is the arrangement that God puts in place in order to ensure that we can, our hearts can become unblameable. In Psalms 51 verse 10, Psalms 5.1 verse number 10, as I try to round up, it said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Now, I need to define, maybe, I don't know if I can do that this night or we'll do it tomorrow. I will show you and I will bring my diagram tomorrow. So I'll work with the IT people to see if we can display the diagram on the screen, not just for the consumption of the people that are present in the hall, but also the consumption of those that are participating online to see the description and if I have something with which I can point an aspect of the diagram, we'll be talking about the inner, uh, the inward chambers. Just like medical doctors do anatomy and physiology, we are going into the real organ that holds, that God wants to colonize. That organ is your heart. And if God gets your heart, 
and a God can tamper your heart, then he has the hold on, hold on the steering wheel on your life. He can manipulate your desires. He can manipulate your preferences. He can kill your ambition. He can sell his vision to you. So the heart is the steering wheel. That's the tarmac that God will need to land if he wants to execute anything in your life. He intends to establish your heart blameless and holy. Creating me. How many of you ever prayed this prayer before? You noticed that there was a raging inferno of rebellion that was rising in the heart. Pointing you to sin. Pointing you to a desire that will affect your, your, your work with God. And you saw that the tendencies inward, inbound, were terrible. So you now go to the creator. You go to Mekadishkim. You see, Jehovah Mekadishkim may not be willing to do any work in you if you don't submit the tools. Submit your heart for him to work upon. The prayer point that you must never outgrow is creating me a clean heart. Renew the right spirit within me. Creating me a clean heart. Renew the right spirit within me. Because within the context of the New Testament, you must have seen that the requirements of the New Testament is much more than that of the Old. Whereas in order for you to commit fornication, to commit adultery, in the Old Testament it needs to be an act. But in the New Testament, adultery can be adequately committed in the heart. And it will register on the dashboard in the heavenlies. God's desire is that your heart be established in holiness. That vile things and darkness will not be able to settle upon your heart. As it is settling, you are fighting it. You don't allow it to settle. Because if you allow it to settle, you are going to have a conception. Oh my. I need to read a scripture to you. Maybe we'll close on that. Maybe we'll close on that. If you are still with me, say Amen. Amen. Now, this just give me a moment. I need to find this scripture. Uh, I think. Um, James chapter 1 from verse 13 to 15. I'll, I'll close on that. I'll close on that. Korabahasi ke kabobo sateli. A true Christian borders, is worried about the state of his heart. He's worried. Because in the new covenant, we were given a new heart. And a new spirit to guide that heart. You know, your heart can love anything. How many of you have fallen in love with Z world. This is a night of truth. You are desperately in love with Z world. The heart can love you. Were trying the heart with Z world, it fell in love. The heart can love. It's a love organ. Just like you might see somebody that you you initially you say it's an ugly man. You don't like him. See how he is. Hmm. Keep. Dealing with him, dealing with him, a time will come, your heart will just look. You see, the heart is not reasonable. 
the time you noticed, the time you noticed that it was ugly, what you were assessing him from your mind. Then after a while, you allow the heart to assess him. And the heart is a love organ. The heart is not, the heart is not reasonable. The heart doesn't analyze. Then you're not loving with passion. You can no longer see that it's ugly. Check. You realize that God in creation, he used the best bones to protect the organs that have to do with life. So the skull protects the brain. The rib cage protects the heart, protects the lungs. The spinal cord is protected by the vertebral column. But God now says to you, keep your heart with all diligence. I've made no burglary for your heart. I've made no protection for your heart. You will be the burglary that guards your heart. You will be the one that monitors the territorial integrity of your heart. And if Satan wants to get you to do his work, he needs to whisper such whispers that will echo upon your heart. God wants to master your heart. Satan wants to master your heart. Who will you allow? Sometimes we become careless and Satan impregnates your heart. He said, let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own laws. He's given us the origin of temptation. You had a lust. Satan doesn't know what you want. He doesn't know what you like. So all he did was that he carried his products and was passing by. Are you there? He carried the product of fine, fair women with slim waist. He brought that one. Hallelujah. Then if that lust is in your heart, as he's bringing the product and shaking it like this, the lust that is already there is the reason for which there's an attraction to the product. Are you there? So if there is no lust there, the product will mean nothing to you. You'll not even notice that there's a product. The Bible says that when you are tempted, you are drawn away. Where? In your own loss. And your loss is different from the loss of the next person sitting by your side. Guess where the loss was hiding all the while? In your heart. So if it is true that you were keeping your heart with all diligence as prescribed by God, the time the loss started entering there and you noticed it, you are bought. But many of you have refused to abort. So when Satan realizes that there's a product that he is marketing that tallies with the lost inside. How many of you know what a remote control is? Remote control. Sister, stand up. What television do you use at home? What type? You know it's you. You know, yes. What type of television do you use? LG. Life is good. Now, if I take Samsung remote control, it will not operate an LG television. So Satan has the remote control. But he doesn't know what kind of television you use. So he comes with his Samsung. 
Then he presses change channel. Then your own is Panasonic. It did not work. He will go. He comes to you. Change channel. It didn't work because you are using what? LG. Then he comes this way. Change channel. Then he notices that. You that your, the channel you were on was prayer. Then in that prayer, he shows you a naked woman. Then you, you stop. Your channel has changed. Say, oh, this one is Samsung. It's Samsung. Oh. That's how he has changed the channel of so many people's lives because there is something that was locking in the heart that they did not deal with. The truth is, things come into our heart. But when you notice something has violated your authority, it has escaped your surveillance and it has entered into your domain, you have bought it. Because if the thing cannot stay in the heart, it will never have a manifestation. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away in his own loss and enticed. So what the devil does is that he, he, he was able to make contact with your lust. He knows that, okay, this is the loss you have. Then he now brings products to entice you. That's the best Satan can do. Every other thing will be done by the capacity of your heart. Next verse. Then when lost is conceived, the conception takes place in the heart. It bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, bringeth forth death. That means every sin has a gestation period. Every sin. Adultery. Theft. Lying. There was a time that it was processed in your heart. Before it could be bathed. If it is true that you are keeping your heart with all diligence, when the thing was growing, you were supposed to kill it. There are some abortions that are, that are righteous. I bought it. Some of you came here pregnant tonight. We want to abort, abort terrible things. Maybe your husband has been cheating on you. And you have sat down. You saw fat women, short women, tall women. You saw even thieves among women. You love them. And then you make up your mind. So as he goes out, I will go out. He is not you. He is not you. And you don't have the ability to save any human being. The best you can do is to pray for him. Don't, if you become like him, it was in your heart. It was there. It's just that you could not express it. You were modest. You were brought up in a good family. But the reason why you were thinking about also cutting shows is because it was in your heart. It was in your heart. I saw Dr. Rita. Where are you? Give I'm doctor with a mic. In fact, doctor, come to the stage. Come here. That's my young doctor. Is it surgery that you are doing? Come on. So we'll end with this, this talk show. If we conduct a surgery on somebody that has not eaten pounded yam, can you find pounded yam in his stomach? 
talk, talk, talk. Let them hear your voice. This is Dr. Rita, and he's trying to tell us about surgery. I have not eaten pounded yam, so you will not find it in my stomach. If you had the tendency of going out, it means the pounded yam is in your stomach. Are you following my illustration? Whatever is not in your heart, you cannot do. That's the womb. It's like it's like um, um, genome genetics. The other day, I looked at it, my 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 hair in the mirror. I saw white hair. The reason why it is like that is because it was written in my genes that at this age I will have white hair. So what is in your heart is like genes. It will speak eventually. It might be dormant now. It might be silent now. But it will speak eventually. And Apostle Paul in the teaching of a sanctified life revealed that God has the intention to sanctify your heart and that your heart be established blameless in holiness. Thank you, Doc. Hallelujah. We are going to pray tonight because there's pandemonium in some of your, your pandemonium is there. So if you operate it, you will see it. But if there's no pandemonium, if you like, operate it and use a microscope, it is not there. If you committed the fornication, it means it's what in your heart all along. Satan will not steal that space. He will not govern that space called your heart. So that's the first domain. Fight every darkness that makes it to your heart. Oh my God, I don't have time. Time is gone. It, 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 was, it was Paul that said, be not overcome by evil. How many of you, while growing up, people, people did evil things to you? And, and the, the natural disposition of the fallen man is, if I have an opportunity, I will strike back. And if I cannot strike them, I will strike their children. Ah! That's an old war. He said, be not overcome by evil. Uproot that thing from your heart now. And live free. Some of you have high blood pressure. And you are young. You are, you are 26. It's because you are planning to do evil. Can you uproot it from your heart? Be not overcome. I know they molested you. I know they came and fell on you and took your virginity. You've cursed them. You've cursed their children. You've and you are waiting, looking for how dark. Can you remove it from your heart? Can you remove it? Remove it. Remove it. You were treated wrong. You were treated, you were treated like a criminal. You were treated like trash. Can you remove it right now? We want to conduct abortion and kill that thing that is growing inside. Can we, can we labor? Can we labor? Can we labor? Can we labor? Wait, wait. And purify me. Create in me a clean so I may worship you. Sing create in me. Create in me a clean enough. I may worship you. Come.
Cast me not, cast me not away from your presence. Please don't take your spirit from me and restore the joy of salvation so that I may worship you. So that I may worship Cast me not, cast me not away from your presence. Please don't take your spirits from me and restore the joy of salvation so that I can worship you. So that I Cast me now, cast me now, away from your presence. Please don't take your spirit from me and restore the joy of salvation. So that I can worship you. Pake 